0: The Culture Guy Podcast. Welcome back after a longer absence. Today we're talking again about intercultural relationships. And we're also talking about a contest that we have going on. Welcome back. This is Christian, the Culture Guy. This is the Culture Guy podcast. And for those of you who have been missing updates to the catalog of episodes, yes, we took a little hiatus. I am deeply sorry. I got sick. Not that this would be an excuse, but then I had to. I had to. (laughs) How does that sound? I traveled overseas for a bit. And now I'm back. And today we have a guest with us who hails from the United States and is living in an intercultural relationship. More about her in a couple of minutes. But before we go to our guest, I would like to remind you of our last episode we did with Carmen. Carmen Ring, and those of you who listened to the episode, you may remember we were talking about what it takes to make an intercultural relationship work if one partner is from a different cultural background than the other. So our guest today will also talk about this topic a little bit, and before we go into that, um, Carmen and I, after our episode aired, we had some conversations offline And realized maybe we can offer our audiences something. So what she did, she ran a contest with her network, kind of a story contest. So she asked her followership about their best stories of how they had to adjust uh, to different cultures, either for their business lives or their personal lives. And we picked a winner. There were multiple, multiple stories that people sent into her. And together, Carmen and I, we found the well, the best story. Of course, there were obviously other great stories, but we had to pick just one. And that candidate who sent in that story, that personal episode, will be a guest on this podcast in the very near future. So we thought this would be a great idea to tie in the audience in a little bit. And in return, I would like to start a new contest today. So um, those of you who remember what Carmen said about her business, her life, she is a professional language expert so she and her company can help you translate your marketing materials or your website or your sales collateral or whatever it may be so the contest today is you send in your best story why you want to take your business to a new market why you want to go global or international and together carmen and i will um, decide who wrote the best story, and the winner, the best story, will win a translation of your short biography, your, your little, not a CV, but your bio that you put on your website or that you send out to your clients or to future business partners. It's a one-pager usually, and she offers to translate that for you either into Spanish or into French. Now, I think that's a terrific offer. And Carmen, if you're listening, thank you so much. This is a great value that you're providing. Now, it's up to you folks, your listeners of the Culture Guy podcast. I would like for you to send me your best stories. Why do you want to take your business global? Why is it important for you to do business in another country, in another market, in a different culture? And well, I'm I'm going to find out what the deadline will be. Let me think about that a little bit. You will find it in the show notes. Once this episode airs, you will find it on our website, theculturemastery.com forward slash podcast, where we host all our show notes. And you'll find it obviously on iTunes and Stitcher and, and Google. What is it? Google Music. So wherever you read the show notes to this episode, it'll say the deadline. Um, Right now, I want to say no later than May, the end of May 2017. We might pull it up a little, maybe into April. We'll, we'll see. You'll see it on the show notes, Go so go check them out. Um, I'm not giving it away here. And all the details and the nitty-gritty of the contest you will also find in the show notes as well. Now, um, while you're in the show notes, you will also find some more background information about our guest today. So today I have the pleasure of introducing you to Melissa Hahn, or as her full name goes, Melissa Cruz Hahn. And I have not met her in person, but I've read a lot of her stuff. So if you're into the intercultural field, if this is something that you're as passionate about as I am, and i'm sure you've come across her articles she writes quite a bit for the harvard business review um, on her own website which is intercultural melissa and maybe other outlets that her articles have been syndicated with so without further ado let's talk to melissa hello melissa how are you
1: hello christian good how are you
0: i'm splendid and i'm calling you today in where you located today
1: i'm in the phoenix area
0: so That is your home base, right?
1: That is my home base. I was born and raised here, and I've had some adventures, and now I'm back here again.
0: So, adventures, that's what we're here to talk about and what our listeners would be excited to hear. So, what were some of the adventures outside of your home turf that led you down to becoming an intercultural coach and trainer?
1: Uh, I would say the the first major one was going to Minnesota for college. I went from a a major metropolitan kind of sprawling area in the desert to a very, very small town of about 3,000 people um, on the frozen tundra, as it it seemed to me. And so I, I had a lot to figure out in Minnesota and that kind of got me interested in the way that people interact and the way that people think and the way that they Um, communicate and and just I didn't know it was called culture at the time but I was really interested in that and then at the same time I was majoring in Russian area studies and I was looking for a chance to learn more about Central and Eastern Europe so after Minnesota I went to Poland for graduate school and I was studying um, Central European studies over there and these questions of how people interacted and communicated and what their goals were and how they shaped their life and created meaning just kept reappearing for me while I was over there. And I had been on this foreign service track thinking I wanted to go into maybe some work in the State Department, but I just got so interested in the way that people create their life and they, you know, as individuals, but also, you know, in the context of their culture that... Um, I stumbled into the intercultural field, and I kind of made a left turn, and I just um, came back to to the U.S. and got a master's in intercultural relations instead, Mm -hmm. Um, and along the way, we also lived in Atlanta, in um, Georgia, Mm -hmm. and then one thing led to another, and we ended up back in Phoenix.
0: Well, sounds like we have a few tangents in common here, so um, Minnesota was my first connection to this country, the United States, and Atlanta will be uh, the place where I will be living soon. So um, nice, nice to hear that. (laughs) Now, um, you said that it was a big change for you coming from the Southwest of the United States going into Minnesota. How would you describe that to somebody who is not from the United States or who doesn't know the uh, North American culture intimately? For an outsider, it may sound like you're still in the same country, how is that culture? Why was there such a big difference? In in a few words, what what, is, what stood out to you most?
1: Sure, well, well, that's what I thought. I thought I was in the same country, so I guess the, the, the shock came when I saw how different other parts of the country could be, um, but very briefly, we obviously have very different weather. Um, if you want to think of it in European terms, it would be like going from maybe Morocco to Finland. Um, But we also, in Phoenix, we tend to be very casual. We tend to communicate pretty straightforwardly, not as directly as maybe you would think in Boston and New York, but we pretty much say what we're thinking, um, and we kind of tackle things head on. In Minnesota, it was not that way. They were much more um, reserved, um, much more... Um, they weren't super formal, but they were, just had, they were, they were more formal than in, in Arizona. And so my natural um, personality and, and my kind of natural way of interacting kind of <laughs> it fell in and I tripped, around, you know, tripped and fell a few times because the way that I naturally was used to being that had kind of worked for me in, in Arizona, um, it just didn't rub people the right way. In Minnesota, and so I had to figure out how to present myself in a different way and how to go about my life in a different way in order to kind of accomplish the things that I had gone to Minnesota to do.
0: Nice, and this is something that um, my my connection to the U.S. Yes alerted me to: is that big aerial countries like like the United States, who who cover a big aerial landmass, um, are not homogenous in in how their culture is shaped so you go to Australia you find differences between the coasts you go to China and you see significant differences between the the, the corners of the country the same could be said of Russia and, and other big countries like uh, Brazil would come to mind so if you're traveling to foreign lands that are big in size just be aware that there may not be one type of culture. Your book that you read to prepare, you may tell you, well, the Russians are a certain way. Well, the Russians in St. Petersburg may be different than the ones in Sevastopol, and you just got to be aware of that. So, Melissa, now you work as an intercultural coach. If people want to find you, they'll go to interculturalmelissa.com, right?
1: That's correct.
0: And... You work with expatriates, right? Or what, how would you describe the the clientele you serve?
1: Sure. So I, I work with expatriates who are about to go on their expatriate adventure. I work with them while they're there, while they're getting everything kind of sorted out and they're processing what that means for them. Um, I also work with expatriate. Um, families because it doesn't just affect you know you as an individual it also affects you as a a family unit and then I work with them um, before they're ready to come home and then after they've come home as repatriates and on the other side of things I also work with people who are adjusting to life within the U.S. and particularly I focused on students who are trying to understand what what they need to do in order to succeed in an American classroom and educational context
0: And I also know, and this is actually how we set this uh, conversation up, I recently posted an article on on Mm -hmm. our Facebook feed about the challenges and benefits of um, living in a relationship, a a romantic relationship that crosses cultures. And, And you jumped on that as well because you yourself live in such a relationship, right? Would you care to explain to our listeners how your relationship is quote-unquote, not normal?
1: (laughs) So, um, yes, I have an intercultural relationship. And um, to give your listeners some context, we've been together for about 16 and a half years. So I've had a lot of time to observe all these different um, kind of cultural idiosyncrasies. Um, My background is entirely European-American, and there's some variation within that. But my husband's background is European-American and Korean. So... We have like a, if you picture a Venn diagram where you have the circles that overlap, we have this common area in between that would be um, mainstream American culture that we both share. But then on the on the periphery, we both have um, quite a few differences. And I should mention that in addition to him being Korean, we also have different religious backgrounds. My family was Protestant and his was Catholic and Buddhist. And we also have different US regional backgrounds. We, also, we both grew up um, in high school in the greater Phoenix area in Arizona, but his family came originally within the US from Maryland and my family came from the Midwest, places like Nebraska and the the Appalachian Mountains, places like eastern Tennessee um, and also oklahoma so the the backgrounds that not only that we grew up in but that our parents had as influences when they raised us were really different culturally, even though we have that middle part um, that we share
0: and and how does the difference appear in the relationship was that uh significant from the very get-go or did that okay. appear throughout the relationship at some point?
1: No in fact um, because we actually went to high school together and because you know when you're in high school and you're you're sharing all the popular culture and you're in the same generation, I think it was it kind of blinded me to the fact that we had cultural differences so I I really, I really downplayed it, I really had no idea. I thought that Korean culture was something that maybe his mom had. Uh, Maybe it was something that, you know, in the future if we had kids, maybe we could, you know, sprinkle some Korean culture into our life, but I really had no idea at the outset. Um, Kind of, you know, not knowing about culture the way I do now, I had no idea the way that it kind of programmed so much of the way that my husband, you know, thought about life, but I also didn't really think of myself as having a culture. You know, I made a kind of classic mistake at the beginning, and I thought, well, we have this European-American piece in common, and then culture was that additional Korean piece that he had, and really, we, we both have a culture, and I I totally underestimated what that meant. I, I really had no idea. I was very starry-eyed, and um, we got engaged when I was 18, and I just thought, "Oh, this is perfect," and I, I didn't even think about degree and culture at all. <laughs> and I, I know much better now.
0: <laughs> well, at that, that age, it's probably not. One is probably not that aware of of how difference might might play a role. And and we've talked before. We we hit the record button here, so I, I know a little bit about the background. But you told me earlier that. Your husband back then was not really necessarily aware of his uh, of him being a third culture individual or having having more than one culture inside of him. Um, how has that changed over the course of the years?
1: Um, you know, that's that's something that he's definitely become more aware of. Um, I think because of a variety of factors, and one is that there's just so much more on social media with. Um, with people writing about how they have a multicultural identity um, and also talking about being a third-culture kid you know he didn't just grow up with a mixed heritage within the US but he also grew up for a good portion of his childhood in Korea Um, and I think it wasn't until he started to meet other people who had had that same experience for example when we were in Poland one of our really good friends was a third-culture kid himself or herself and they just they just really hit it off because I think they both had found somebody that understood what that was like. And I think having that kind of experience signaled to him that, hey, this really is a unique experience that I have and I really maybe do have these different kind of cultural perspectives because I was a global um, child and because I have a mixed heritage. And for me to kind of be there along that journey has also really opened my eyes to the importance of that 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 has, even if we don't always appreciate it, that it still really does shape things and impact them.
0: Now, your husband, having one parent who is not only culturally Asian but also physically Asian, reflects in his physical appearance. And we all know that uh, the first impression always forms um, the perception of people that we meet. Um, does he? Did he ever report to you that uh, living in a predominantly Uh, European American society uh, that he ever encountered any sort of different treatment in public by looking Asian? Does that ever play a role? Or did that ever play a role for your husband?
1: Um, You know, when when we were first together, you know, in, in the late 90s and early 2000s, it wasn't something that we really thought that much about. But the way that politics and the conversations have really Um, kind of accelerated around identity in the U.S. in the past decade have made that more of an issue. Um, I think what's more common, I think if we were maybe in Los Angeles, people would see him and would be able to assess, hey, you look like maybe you're um, part Asian. In in Phoenix, it's more common for him to actually be mistaken as Hispanic. Um, So, for example, there was a big tea party rally about four or five years ago And he was driving home from work and there were some people protesting on the sidewalk. And there was an older white gentleman who, um, I wasn't really a gentleman, he leaned his head into the car window and he was just almost foaming at the mouth. He just screamed at my husband to go back to Mexico. And so I think he's had strange experiences like that. I think more about being misunderstood rather than people thinking, okay, you must be Korean and, and having stereotypes around that. Um, and I think it's, it's because there just hasn't really been a very large Asian population in Phoenix. So either people don't know what to make of it at all, or they might completely miss it. In some cases, he can, he can pass. Um, but in other cases, um, specifically in Phoenix, he'll more he's more likely to be misidentified. Um, other things that have happened, though, that are, you know, are strange for me, because, you know, we're, we're married and we're living the same life, and then all of a sudden because of his identity or the way people perceive his identity, something will happen that will remind me that people aren't seeing the two of us in the same way. For example, um, we came back from a trip to Europe once and we were getting our bags and a National Guard um, guy who was armed at the airport came up to my husband and he stood right in front of him and he wanted to know on the spot what my husband's name was, where he was from, where he had been, what kind of work he did for a living, um, you know, and, and all these questions, and then the worst part for me was that he looked to me to confirm that what my husband had said was correct. And so I think we will, everything will be, you know, very normal, and it doesn't, we won't think that it plays a big part in our lives. But then all of a sudden, something will happen that will remind my husband that he's seen as being different from me, but it will also remind me that, you know, culture and perceptions and biases, um, that they really are a thing. And it's easy to forget that as a white person, mm-hmm. but I'll see that in the context of our, of our life. And it's very disorienting when you see your spouse treated differently from you um, and upsetting just because of the way that they look.
0: Mm-hmm. Did, did you experience something similar when you were abroad together? Does something like that happen? Like, let's say you go to Central Europe, you go to Poland, to Austria. Um, do you experience the same thing or is is it different because you're in a different linguistic environment, you don't pick up on those nuances?
1: Um, it's I think we probably are missing a little bit because we don't have the linguistic ability. But what's interesting is that in Austria and in Germany, somehow there's something about him that looks more German and Austrian to people there than it does maybe to Americans. And I don't know what it is, but that they Anybody who's looked at him and his last name is Han, it's a German Han, um, seems to not be that curious about the Asian side and they seem to just see the German piece. And I, I don't know, I, I can't quite understand exactly how they're approaching that. But in other parts of Europe, I've noticed that people don't think that we would be together as a couple. Um, for example, we were, we were backpacking with one of our some other friends who had who they just happened to have a darker hair and a darker skin complexion than I do and so out of the group the waiters and other people who were interacting with us it became clear that they thought my husband was actually with one of my other friends that 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 would make more sense he he couldn't possibly be with me Uh, and that that was curious it wasn't really that insulting but it was just intriguing to realize that oh there may be you know Poland or Slovenia, there really, they're, I'm sure there really aren't that many couples who are, you know, one person is is fully white and the other one is is mixed. So yeah, I think they just bias. didn't know what, yeah, they just didn't know what to do with that. Um, and it's it's the opposite though. When we went to Korea and Japan, um, especially in Korea, we we got a different reaction. Um, people seem to be impressed with him that he was with a white woman which was disorienting kind of in a in a different way um i saw him kind of getting these, these not like hey you know there you good job there you go and, and you, you scored you scored a white yeah yeah that was strange white for me in, in a
0: korean context is that is that does that still carry some perceived superiority or, or why why would they think that um, way
1: that's that's my impression. I, I think it, it also really depends. It, it's different if it's a Korean man and a white woman. Um, I think it's much more complicated when it's a Korean woman and a white man, which was the case for my husband's parents, because then there was all this, you know, loaded emotion about, you know, colonialism and the war and you know, white men stealing the Korean women and and you know, all of that. But for, for I think it doesn't seem to have the same connotation with its. Um, A white woman and a Korean man. So I, I know from my, my mother-in-law, um, that was partially, I think she felt like that was a success. Like she had come to the U.S. and her, her son married a white woman and like now they were said they were going to be Americans now. Um, so that's that's very peculiar to me because I don't see it being an accomplishment or or something extra special, and I don't think my husband sees it that way. But you do see these different reactions as you travel, where your identities and your, the fact that you're together means different things to different people, um, and you kind of bump into their assumptions and their and their biases. And we, we haven't ever really had any confrontations with people. Like we can just tell that they. They're trying to figure out how to categorize us based on the reality and the culture that they live in in their country. And I don't think we always fit in those boxes when we have an intercultural relationship.
0: The, the way you tell the story, it sounds like you and your husband don't necessarily need to fight for being accepted as a couple in public because you, it sounds like you don't care what other people think about that.
1: Yeah, I think I think we don't care. And um, the other thing is that you know it's race and identity and culture. I think are very complex, you know, in the in the world and in the country. And I think people tend to be more accepting of an Asian and a white relationship. I know, you know, my my sister is actually with um, somebody who's white and black. And their, their experience in the public sphere is not quite the same as as my husband's and mine. So I think Asian in, in general in the US is not seen as something that's very threatening. Um, it's seen as just sort of like benign. So I think we don't really encounter the same difficulties that I think we would if we had different cultural backgrounds that you know are struggling for more acceptance. So it it probably, I don't want people to think, especially if they're listening from from outside the US, that everybody has an easy time. But it just so happens that where we live, and and we also live in a university town. We live in an an area of Phoenix that's very close to Arizona State University. And they have a huge engineering program and a huge um, science program and lots of other programs that attract um, a lot of really talented people from around the world. And, and that means that there's just a lot of diversity in the neighborhoods where I live. So I think and that also makes a big difference. Whereas if we were living in a city that didn't have any diversity um, to begin with, it might be harder for people to, to accept this.
0: So in, in, in your day-to-day now, how, how does your husband's Korean side show up in your relationship? Does it show up in your cuisine? Does it show up in how you decorate your home? Does it show up in the way you dress or how you celebrate certain festivities? Is, is there? Has it made a, a distinct mark on, on how you go about your day-to-day?
1: yeah you know it, it really has And I guess the, the surprising piece for me since I didn't take culture into account at all when we were first dating is how much it's actually changed me um, I feel like I really adopted a lot of Korean culture um, sort of accidentally like it just rubbed off on me um, part of that is because we actually lived with my parents my husband's parents for three years kind of while we were going to and fro when we were between college and graduate school. And so I I really got immersed. It was kind of like an exchange program, but it was my own family. Um, I got really immersed in in Korean culture. Um, So a few of the obvious things that that I do, you know, we we take off our shoes. Um, It's it's almost impossible for me to imagine wearing shoes in our house at this point. we don't dress differently. Um, I don't wear a hanbok, that's the traditional Korean um, clothes, but most Koreans don't wear that either. It's really just for special occasions. Um, we really haven't celebrated Korean holidays very much, and that that's something I wish that we did, but it, its it's kind of awkward if you're the one that wants to experience your spouse's culture. You can't really make your spouse's family celebrate you know just for you yeah. um it's kind of like if you married into an american family and you always wanted to celebrate thanksgiving but they just weren't that into it and they just had pizza like you can't make them yeah, adopt I mean, the, like the when, american when my
0: american's friend uh, around october tell me to put on my little because they want to have me in Oktoberfest gear is that no not happening
1: yeah, yeah, they're not gonna they're not gonna do it for me. Um, so we don't we don't really celebrate Korean holidays very much, other than kind of acknowledging them and, and maybe eating some small um, symbolic food. But it's certainly nothing like it would be, you know, if we were living in Korea. I think the things that really um, have shaped our life, though, are the things beneath the surface, you know, where a lot of the the hidden culture lies. And and that's in the way that I think our maybe my values have changed as a result of being in a Korean relationship and the way my perception of things have changed. So specifically, you know, when we were first together, I was very I'd been raised very, very individualistically. My parents were very supportive of, you know, me and my brother and sister kind of marching to the beat of our own drum and maybe even more than than other Americans. So I always thought that was the purpose in life, was to be yourself and do what you wanted to do, and we were very ambitious, and we were just kind of carving out our own space in the world. And now, because of being immersed in Korean culture, I feel much more aware of my kind of community and collective obligations. You know, In Korean culture, there's a very, very strong sense that you're responsible for each other, and you're responsible in a different way than you are in american culture it's it's kind of you're responsible for each other's overall state of mind and well-being so it's a very deep um obligation and commitment and so there's this concept in in korean and i can't say it correctly but it's called um kibun and it refers to feelings and like your overall aura and state of mind and there's another concept called nunchi and nunchi refers to your ability to kind of indirectly out of the corner of your eye quickly assess how people are doing so that you can then help them get into like a harmonious state of mind okay. um and that's that's very very different it's from american a,
0: culture a, it's more of a transcendental uh, way of communicating not 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 a literal low context but it's super high context communication right
1: yeah, it's very, very high context, and I think that's really had a tremendous impact on me because that's the dynamic that that I live in every single day. It wasn't like my husband ever said, "Look, there's this Korean concept you need to master it. This is how we're going to communicate." But you just you just slowly adapt the way that you would if even if you were, say, an expat. You would just kind of gradually pick up on these things, and that's. I feel like I've kind of pulled him he's become more direct and he's become more um, matter of fact and to the point I think being with me because I've pulled that out of him and meanwhile he's kind of pulled me in the other way and I feel much more um, much more aware and much more focused on this kind of harmony and um, you know also I think Koreans really value their, their well-being and their overall health. So we tend to live a very, or we try to anyway, we try to live a very balanced um, life, you know, food and nutrition and, and all that, enough rest. Those are all things that are really important in Korean culture. And that is not something that's really valued really at all by at least my, my American friends and family. Um, they're they're not really that worried about if they're getting enough sleep or if their overall kind of state of mind is, is stable.
0: Do, do your friends, your, your typical if, if if I may say so, typical mainstream American friends and family members, do they notice that you change during your relationship? Do they say, oh well, that uh, that relationship has has turned Melissa into somebody else?
1: Um, I think that if you ask them, they might say yes, but it the relationship has been so long that I think it's hard to really disentangle culture compared to my life experiences compared to um, you know just being an adult living my own my own life kind of outside of my of my parents home so I don't know if they've necessarily thought of it that way I think the the harder part for me comes when I don't always recognize that I have changed until I'll be communicating and I realize I actually have to code switch back to communicate with with mainstream Americans so um, in fact, I was just working with somebody on a project, and he he gave me the feedback that it was all really it was all really good, but it was all really high con you know it was like high context and high level and kind of indirect. I thought, oh, it happened again. Like, okay, I I I just instinctively was now communicating in a certain way that's become natural for me, but it it, it wasn't right. So I have to learn. Um, I think when you're in an intercultural relationship, you know, you have to continually learn how to pivot towards the person that you're with, but you also have to learn how to code switch back out, because um, we've we've created kind of a third culture, with his culture being one and my culture being the other, we've created a third culture in the middle where we live, and we're very happy there, and it, it works for us, um, but it, it's kind of jarring then when you realize that. That, that third culture really only fits the two of us. And he still has to go to his American job and I still have to work with my American colleagues and we still have to work with this Korean mom and my um, American parents. And so even though we have this very harmonious place in the middle, I think that one of the challenges of an intercultural relationship is not so much getting other people to accept you as a unit, but learning how to constantly kind of go in and out and navigate those differing, norms when when everything now seems normal to us so we have to kind of remember that our normal is not normal for other people
0: oh you sing my song um, people who've seen me in, in real life they, they know that i always use my hands to do air quotes when i say the word normal it, it's such an arbitrary term <coughs> and mm-hmm. I, I like the way that you, you talked about pivoting towards and backwards and code switching which i'm assuming it's not only you that does that but your husband as well so you you both are have become flexible in your behavioral preferences according to the environment that you're in at any given moment
1: yeah and i think he's actually better at it than me because you know he's had his whole life so, he didn't know that that was what it was called when he was a kid, but he learned, you know, at a very young age that this is how I communicate with this group of people, and this is how I communicate with this group of people. And he was very fluid and he could go back and forth. So, I think only now, because I'm an interculturalist and I'm kind of obsessed with these topics and I keep pouring all this vocabulary on us, does he maybe have the, the um, scaffolding to understand what he's always implicitly known in kind of these academic terms, but he's, he's much better at it. And in fact, I think that's why I got so interested in it because when we lived with his mom and dad, he was fine. He knew how to interact with the two of them and to go back into the, the rest of, you know, American society without any problem. Um, uh, it, for me, it was, it was more of a shock because I, I, wasn't, I wasn't used to doing that on a daily basis. So I, I kind of saw that he could do it. And I, I tried to figure out, um, if I could do it as well
0: our mutual friend Andy Molinsky who wrote the book Global Dexterity would would call this the your zone of appropriateness that has been expanded over the years right
1: yes and i think you know that that was one of the reasons i really enjoyed andy's book was that i it finally gave me some way to understand what i had tried to to do when i was living with his parents you know because three years was was quite a long time it was too long to not adapt Hmm. Um, and so I I didn't know it at the time but I was trying to find ways that I could be myself and be authentic but I could also be appropriate you know in in the context of of his family and not ruffle too many feathers
0: so let's say um, somebody's listening who is just noticing that they are attracted to someone who's quite different from them Um, what would be some of the things you would like uh, people to be aware of if they see them or find themselves falling in love with somebody from a different culture? What What are some of the things that they need to pay attention to or just be aware of?
1: Sure. So one of the things I would say, especially if you are a partner coming from the mainstream, is to be aware that you have a culture as well Um, An intercultural relationship doesn't mean that the other person has a culture and that they're bringing their culture to you but you're like a neutral baseline. You both have a culture and culture can mean a variety of things. So in in this case, I think the most obvious cultural difference with me and my husband is that he has Korean national culture that he brings. But you know, it's not the only thing. There are many different kinds of culture, such as you know, religion and you know, ethnic background and um, you know, different regional perspectives. So you shouldn't necessarily you shouldn't overlook the fact that you have a culture. But I think the second thing is to not necessarily assume that everything boils down to the most obvious um, cultural difference on the surface. Um, the the third thing I would say is is to not um, you know, to be aware that you might, that there might be a lot that you don't know. You know, I think it's one thing to be ignorant, and then that's a place from which you can learn. It's another thing to be ignorant and not even know that you're ignorant. And that, that's kind of where I was for a, a long time. I, I, I didn't know anything about Korean culture, and I was really curious, and I, I would look things up, but I didn't know how much I didn't. No, and I think that's the most dangerous place to be because you don't even you're not really then thinking about things from a perspective of maybe I should just observe and and learn and reflect. You, you can cause a lot more problems and, if you just forge ahead.
0: I'm I'm, I'm sure y'all have seen uh, the, the the pie diet pie chart diagram um, on which the biggest piece of the pie is the things that we don't even know that we don't know that this unconscious incompetence is is the one that is hardest to get out of. When, once you become conscious of your incompetence, it may be painful that you realize how much you have yet to learn, but at least now you you minimize that piece or that, that big piece of not knowing what you don't know has gotten a little bit smaller, so you're working on it.
1: And I'll add one other thing, Christian, which is that you don't want to swing too far the other way. Mm-hmm. You know, once I realized that I didn't, that there was so much I didn't know, Um, I'm kind of a perfectionist. So I I swung the other way and I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to learn it. I'm going to do it perfectly. And, you know, when you're in an intercultural relationship, the the point is to have a relationship with each other. The point isn't to do the other person's culture perfectly. And and so I think if you are more perfectionistic like I am, it it can be dangerous to your own well-being to prioritize the culture ahead of your own needs and ahead of the relationship because you can get really entangled then like well I need to say this or I need to do this but it doesn't fit the culture well if it's it's your own life it's not like you're going to another country for a business meeting it really is your own life culture is something you have to factor in um, and you'll be much more effective if you consider it and if you learn about it but it's not the end goal isn't you know just to, to make the other culture happy just to you know instead of accomplishing whatever it is you need to accomplish
0: right F- find find a, a a working middle ground that works for both of you definitely right. Melissa, this was awesome thank, thank you so much for your insight thank you for sharing your experiences how would listeners get in touch with you if they found that your expertise is something that would help them or support them in their growth what, what's the best way to reach you
1: I would say the best way to reach me, um, if you wanted to start a conversation one-on-one, is to go to my website interculturalmelissa.com, and then there's a contact tab on the website, and you can fill it out. And and nothing that you enter will be posted on the website; it'll just go to me. Um, If you're just interested in seeing kind of cultural things that that I'm involved in, and you want to learn more about about intercultural relations more broadly um, then you can follow me on Twitter and my handle is uh, cultural Melissa
0: excellent we'll, we'll post all the relevant links in the show notes so if you're driving right now do not take a pen and paper <laughs> wait till you stop and look at the show notes of this podcast and you'll find the links that lead you directly to Melissa Melissa thank you so much I look forward to meeting you in person soon and um this was great uh, I, I will have you back at some point thank you very much
1: thank you very much christian it was great to be here today and um, i'll look forward to talking with you more soon as well excellent bye now bye
0: melissa ha So you learned a lot about how to make an intercultural relationship work, haven't you? And also, don't forget, we still have the contest going. Check the show notes. Find all the criteria how you can qualify to get your one-pager short-form bio translated into Spanish or French by our friend Carmen Ring. And make sure to follow Melissa on all her social media outlets, mainly Twitter, um, her website, obviously. We'll post it all in the show notes. There are multiple ways you can reach out to Melissa. She has a treasure trove of valuable information on her site. And as you're online anyway, give our... Facebook pages alike if you haven't done so yet the culture guy and also the culture mastery follow us on Twitter at culture mastery you can also follow my personal handle which is at @hoeferle, H-O-E-F-E-R-L-E. and read through our blog best story will win so contest rules real quick one more time before i let you go send us a story one paragraph will suffice if you have more so be it we might even publish it so watch your grammar and your punctuation just kidding Um, and tell us why is it important to you to expand globally why are you taking your business outside of your native linguistic and cultural market And how can we be of service? Carmen will help you get your stuff translated, and you have no idea what else we can do with you. So send in those stories. Deadline will be posted in the show notes, and we will find the, or we will determine who is the winner. And maybe there is an awesome runner-up, and we'll figure something out so get writing get typing send that in to us until then the culture guys out enjoy the music and we'll bring you a new episode sooner than this one